Who, boy, howdy, do we have a doozy of things to cover today, tonight, <laughs> whenever you're listening to this. Indeed. But first, welcome to Under the Bridge, everybody. I'm Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And I am Greg, a.k.a. Greg. Yeah. I'm just gonna get right into it. So, that Five Nights at Freddy's movie, right? The one that's got Josh Hutcherson and Matthew Lillard attached? Yes. <laughs> Would you believe me if I said Matthew Lillard is apparently attached for three Five Nights at Freddy's films? Uh... <laughs> does that sum up my feelings? Yes, it does. <laughs> I will say to be 100% fair, that doesn't mean that they're going to make three Five Nights at Freddy's movies. Presumably mm. that just means that if they do end up making more... He's on the hook to reprise his role. Okay, I, I imagine it's kind of a thing of like, hey guys, it worked for the games, so why don't we do it for the movies? But the game actually came out first. We don't talk about that. <laughs> Still though, three of these things, huh? Jesus Christ. They gotta, it can't be, I get. I guess you could make the first one a screen film, but then you'd have to, you'd have to branch out, right? You couldn't yeah. do it for three movies. No. God, can you imagine though? Three of these things all just take place on one security camera desk. At that point, it would be kind of a thing of like, okay, so we we have to branch this out in some way. Like, what do we do at that point? Sister location? Sister location. Maybe it's a thing of like, because I am not familiar at all with the actual Five Nights at Freddy's lore. Maybe it's a something where homeboy or homegirl, whoever it is, goes to a different sister location. But the spirits are decided, it's like, you know what? We really like messing with them. We're going to follow them to wherever the else they're going and just ruin that to, for them, too. Make one based on the serial killer. Hmm. <laughs> God, what a... Ugh. Yeah. So that was just a little teensy bit of news that I felt like sharing. Hmm. And speaking of a little teensy bit of news, we're getting an actual Ant-Man biography. Physical book biography? Yes. Really? Yeah, so apparently Scott Lang wrote his own book in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and it's called Look Out for the Little Guy. Hmm. And we're getting an actual version of it in September. I take it that you're going to pre-order that as soon as you get the chance? I don't know about pre-order, but I'll certainly... Well, yeah, you know what, probably at some point. <laughs> I mean, it sounds cool. It's probably not who I would have picked to have something like that be made for. I would have done, definitely done that with, like, original Captain America or something along those lines. But that's still a cool idea. I, I kind of feels like, because to my knowledge, there's never really been anything related to the MCU that's, like, an actual, like, proper book form, right? Uh, I mean, sure, he's got the Wakanda Files. Hmm. Which is more an analysis of technology and scientific developments in the MCU. Okay. Yeah, that's... That's, it sounds cool, it's just, part of my brain kind of also goes, like, huh, I'm kind of surprised it took them this long to go, you know what, this sounds like a cool idea, especially after doing a literal limited-run cassette tape for Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I missed that. <laughs> I thought you got that. I did, and then I think it got chewed up in my old car. Ah, unfortunate. Yeah. Even more interesting, uh, there's no author listed. Instead, the well, there is an author, but apparently the author is just Scott Lang. So how does the accreditation work for that, then? <laughs> I don't know. I, I've got to assume they're going to reveal the actual author eventually. Yeah, there has to be an actual author. Fictional character notwithstanding, I couldn't see them just, like, accrediting it as, like, Marvel Studios or something like that. Maybe Paul Rudd wrote it. Yeah, I would think that, if anyone, it would be Paul Rudd. Anyway, here's the summary. Hmm. 
In Look Out for the Little Guy, Scott Lang shares with the world a bracingly honest account of his struggles and triumphs, from serving time, to being a divorced dad, to becoming Ant-Man and joining the Avengers. These are stories of epic battles won and lost as this everyman-turned-superhero finally tells all, from the official account of what really happened between the Avengers and Thanos, to how shrinking down to ant size really feels, to the challenges of balancing the roles of hero and dad. Across his many adventures big and small, Scott has gathered the wisdom of countless amazing experiences into this, the first memoir from a real-life Avenger. Once you learn the unforgettable details of his epic journey, you won't need to be reminded to look out for the little guy. And then there's also a quote, Introduces the man behind the hero and the hero I call friend, Bruce Banner, fellow Avenger. <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna hurl. Okay, I'm not gonna lie, that actually does sound interesting. Like, I, I do actually want to read the book myself now. I imagine part of my brain can't help but go as partially a joke, but also within, like, the realm of that universe. I can imagine there's bits of the book that actually just have, like, continuous black lines over text. It's like, okay, there's you, you can't tell them everything, man. <laughs> well, who's gonna stop them? The Avengers are gone. Mm, fair. <laughs> well, that sounds interesting. Yeah, That's I'm looking for sure. forward to this one. Mm. So Netflix kicked up a little bit of a little little bit of dust, a little bit of a little bit of controversy. A mm, little bit of birdshot. I don't know. A <laughs> little bit of them being morons. Mm. T- tell me more. <laughs> well, they rolled out their anti-password sharing measures, mm-hmm. and they have since walked it back in the stupidest way possible. But here's what they were gonna go with. Mm-hmm. Netflix accounts are shareable, but only within one household. To ensure that your devices are associated with your primary location, Netflix is now asking users to connect to Wi-Fi at your primary location, open the Netflix app or website, and watch something at least once every 31 days. Presumably, yes, that is every device with Netflix on it. So initially it was like you have to activate every device in your household that had Netflix on it. Yeah. To... Well, that's a chore. Right? Accounts are only meant to be used within one household. Netflix will prompt users who try to sign into your account elsewhere to sign up for their own account instead and block their access until they do. (laughs) Signing into Netflix outside of your home may lead to the device in use being blocked from Netflix. This could prevent you from signing into new devices while traveling, but Netflix has devised a workaround. Traveling users who want to use Netflix on a hotel smart TV, company laptop, etc. can request a temporary code from the service when signing in. This will give them access to their account for seven consecutive days. Signing into home Wi-Fi at least once every 31 days on your devices will make them trusted devices, which Netflix will remember and leave unblocked. If your device has been blocked incorrectly, you'll need to contact Netflix in order to get it unblocked. All of this sounds horrible. Right? <laughs> and, and then they walked it back saying, oh, no, 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 that was that was only meant for, for certain regions. Uh, we were testing it in in uh, Chile and Peru and some other places, and I guess they're rolling out some new thing in... Latin America, oh, they began testing measures in August 2022 in Latin America, charging users who shared passwords $3 when someone outside the household used the account. I hope it's not $3 every time. God, same. But God, what a what a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, and then just to walk it back, it's like, oh no, it was only certain individuals. So it's like, okay, so fuck these people in particular then? <laughs> yeah, you know what I would do if I had to log into Netflix every 31 days to avoid being blocked? I would just cancel my Netflix when I'm not using it. Or just not use Netflix in general at that point. I mean, there are still things on Netflix that I would want to watch that I might still reactivate for from time to time, but it's a case of, 
you, you idiots get that half of your money comes from the fact that people are too lazy to turn off their Netflix, right? <laughs> Including myself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is, that is a true statement. I, I go on it just, just enough to be like, okay, I guess I'll still keep it, even though I like almost never use it. <laughs> on average, I will watch something on Netflix once every three months, probably. Yeah, yeah, about the same for me. So, imagine if every month I had to manually log in and watch something on Netflix, I would just cancel, because that's a chore. Yeah. That's an actual obnoxious chore, and this whole, oh, you need to get a code to use it for seven days at a time. What if I'm on a two-week trip? Too bad. <laughs> this is what they say. It's, it's. I think the thing about this that still makes me scratch my head is that usually... And I feel like I said this last week, too, about something different. But usually when it comes to measures like these, the end result is to somehow get more money out of people. Yeah, this is just going to lose it. Yeah, it's like, I don't see how that works here. (laughs) Because ultimately speaking, especially now that so many other streaming services have popped up and Netflix keeps canceling shit. Mm -hmm. The main reason people still have Netflix is that it is... Ever so slightly more convenient than piracy. <laughs> yeah, it's... And once you take away that convenience... For the record, not trying to make an excuse for piracy in the slightest, but I know that one of the things that was always said about people who are really deep into it is like, well, there needs to be a convenient option. That convenient option comes in like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime Video, stuff like that. And now it's like... You know what? This this is too convenient for the people. We need to like get our get more money out of them. It's like no, <laughs> you dumb coughs. Like, I think Ugh. having been in the streaming business for so long, Netflix quicker than any of them are hitting that. Well, any of the big dogs because you know there's shit like Quibi that went down. Yeah, <laughs> real quick. <laughs> but I feel like Netflix more than any of the other big dogs is quickly bumping up against the problem of. There is a ceiling. Mm. The problem with something like a streaming service is that long-term, you can only make so much money, because eventually, everybody who could reasonably be expected to get Netflix will have Netflix. Right. And then what do you do? Mm. There's no more people to sell it to, so all you can do is drive the price up. But if you drive the price up, more people are likely to leave. Honestly, I'm surprised Netflix hasn't branched out into other aspects, kind of like what Amazon and Uber does, or specifically like with like Uber Eats now, where considering that Netflix was like, at least as far as I remember, the real like first pioneers of the at-home streaming service, I'm surprised it didn't go to a certain degree the blockbuster route and be like video games or other things or something like that through our service as well. Ayo, Ted Sarandos, I've got an idea. Uh, Netflix noms, hit me up. Netflix knobs <laughs> becomes the official provider for the Netflix and chill like Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor. <laughs> yeah, man. Think about it. Mm. It's perfect. But no, that would that would be really crazy. Imagine if Netflix started setting up physical locations and basically just turning into Blockbuster, aka that thing that they ran out of business. Yeah, as I say, it's like Netflix becoming Blockbuster, aka the thing that they actively fucking killed. <laughs> How the turns have tabled. <laughs> How the waves have tided. <laughs> oh man. Anyways, good for them on walking it back now that they've been caught and everybody rebelled against them, I suppose. Hmm. Idiots. 
<laughs> just the, the the initial Star Wars for Rogue One and over Felicity Jones's face is the it's just the thing that says Netflix consumer base and just says I rebel. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Mm. In some very surprising news, Hulu has renewed Hitmonkey for season two. Okay. Over a year after it originally came out. It, I <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I completely forgot that Hitmonkey was a thing. I didn't forget, but God, I was just, I, I'd given up hope because we hadn't heard anything. I just assumed it had been quietly and unceremoniously canceled like everything else Marvel Marvel TV did before Marvel Studios took over. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's it's going to be coming back. Okay. Hitmonkey and Bryce are traveling from Japan to New York City. Did you ever watch the original one? Yeah. Okay, because I never did. No, it was a good show. I had a lot. I had a lot of fun with it. Oh, okay. I mean, come on, it's a, it's a monkey who assassinates people. <laughs> what is not to love? I remember when I first like saw the trailers for. It, I was like, "What is this?" And then I think a little later, in the trailer, the Marvel Netflix pop, the Marvel <laughs> logo pops up, and then it's like, "Wait, wait, really?" <laughs> okay, sure. However, apparently the show is dropping the Marvel branding, presumably because Marvel doesn't really want you to think about it anymore. <laughs> Marvel not wanting you to think about one of their IPs? They're kind of bad about that, really. Mm. If it's not MCU, they're really quick to make you try to forget about it. Oh, that's strange. I mean, as someone who has like no frame of reference with Hitmonkey, is it just because of how, like, I imagine it's particularly violent. Oh yeah, it's violent. Like well beyond what you would expect of like a Marvel anything. It's a very It's an violent... animated show about a monkey who kills people. Of course it's violent. Yeah, so do you think that might have something to do with it? Like it's so violent that even Marvel's like, you know, I don't think we need to ha- remind people that we made this. <laughs> no, but they're making Marvel zombies and that's going to be TVMA. Hmm. Oh, so fair. That can't yeah. be it. I think it's literally just the case of it's from the previous regime and it's not part of the MCU or MCU adjacent, so there's no reason to promote it. But it's like, well, why even bother then? I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I'll watch as many seasons of Hitmonkey as you want to give me. <laughs> Hitmonkey okay. me with it. Jesus. I will not apologize for art. <laughs> okay, whatever you say, man. <laughs> yeah. Don't try to fight me on this, I will win. <laughs> I will win by pure attrition. Attrition and stubbornness. That's what attrition is. Just, it sounds nicer. That's fair. So yeah, looking forward to that. <laughs> and now, we've got the big news. The big deal. The big enchilada. The okay. the prime time slot. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I regret to inform you that Pennyworth, the origin of Batman's butler, has been cancelled with its third season ending. Oh. Thanks for coming I- under the bridge, everybody. Yeah, I was going to say, you know what? I completely forgot that existed. <laughs> well, it's even weirder because not only does it exist, but apparently not. It, they, they treated it like it was supposed to be a prequel to Gotham, but then apparently it's also a prequel to V for Vendetta, allegedly. Oh, really? And then apparently the finale ends with Gotham being... No, not Gotham, sorry. London being nuked? Or at least a massive bomb going off? Okay. Yeah, I kind of want to watch the show now that it's over. <laughs> Just so I can get to that moment and be like, that's it? Mm. But who knows? <laughs> and 
Anyways, the actual real big news is that James Gunn and Peter Safran unveiled the first projects of the new and improved, hopefully, DCU. Hmm. Uh, chapter one, notice they're doing chapters instead of phases, is being called <laughs> Gods and Monsters. I mean, that's a good, I don't know. I, it's so hard not having a flip frame of reference for this stuff because it's just a good place to. It's like, is there a good? Is it a good place to start? Probably. I, there's just something in my brain that about it being called Gods and Monsters which makes you go, "It's like, oh, that's again with no frame of reference. That sounds kind of boring." <laughs> eh. It's like because of course there's gods and monsters. Like what? Are, what? Are, look at what we're working with here. And they're really starting us out with the monsters because I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through the slate first. Hmm. Do you know, we're still not fully sure how everything that comes out this year is supposed to fold in. He did say that, James Gunn, rather, did say that Flash is going to uh, kind of reset the universe. <laughs> and then it sounds like Blue Beetle is going to be in the DCU and Aquaman 2 is going to lead into it, but I'm not sure if that means it's canon. The, t- to their credit, they still have time to figure this out. Oh, yeah. So the mm. proper start of the DC slate is... Creature Commandos, an animated series that James mm-hmm. Gunn himself has written. Mm-hmm. The logline for this says, The seven-episode animated show written by James Gunn shows Amanda Waller creating a Black Ops team out of monstrous prisoners. Rick Flagg Sr. is presumably leading the team. Weasel is back. And granted, DC is not fully my area, but the characters that were shown in the banner are, to my understanding, Nina Mazursky... Dr. Phosphorus, Frankenstein's Monster, The Bride of Frankenstein, and G.I. Robot. Okay, the the robot was definitely the one I was most curious about. I'm just happy to see more Weasel. <laughs> I do wonder, like, th- this can't be too far of a prequel, because as I understand it, and bear in mind my understanding is limited, the Creature Commandos were like World War II soldiers who fought Nazis. Hmm. But I don't think that can be the case here, since Waller's putting them together. Yeah, like, if it's Amanda Waller putting them together, then it's like, okay, so they are not the good guys? They're probably the good guys. It's just like a... Well, okay, Suicide Squad's a bad example because most of them are bad guys. But, right. And I, and I think Dr. Phosphorus is a Batman villain. Mm-hmm. I think Weasel fought Firestorm once? I don't really remember. <laughs> don't ask me how. But and also because Rick Flagg Sr. looks older than Rick Flagg, so presumably, yeah, this is present day. Right. I wonder what it means. Does he know that Waller had his son killed? I, hmm. That's gotta lead into something. Well, is that gonna matter once they do the whole Flash reset? Yeah, this is after Flash. No, but wait. Oh, you mean, oh, right, because the Suicide Squad, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because well, it's like, hmm. I assume the Suicide Squad is being left alone, because Gunn also clarified later that Flashpoint, or Flash, sorry, is gonna reset a lot of things, but not all things. Well, considering that one of the things he talked about later involved the Peacemaker team, then I would assume... So- God, this is already confusing. A little bit. <laughs> it's like, nothing has even come to fruition in this yet. It's already confusing. This is a comic book adjacent media franchise, all right? <laughs> yeah. Because we know Vi- Viola Davis will be back as Amanda Waller for her own series called Waller. Mm. Which, as you said, will feature Team Peacemaker. So, that implies the Suicide Squad section is still staying canon, at least. Right. So that raises some... 
It's also interesting because Gunn also noted that they're going to try to have the same actors play a character across animation, TV, and games wherever possible in the interconnected DC universe, and anything that's not part of this universe will be explicitly labeled Elseworlds, and he specifically brought up stuff like the Batman, Joker, Teen Titans Go, presumably Superman and Lois, because he also said that that probably has a couple more seasons at least one or two more seasons in it. So, Waller's an interesting choice, because she's kind of awful. <laughs> kind of awful. <laughs> Just a smidge. I mean, granted, I haven't watched any of Peacemaker still, but even for all the bits I've seen of her so far, I think from the instant, it's like, I really need this woman dead. <laughs> like, Yeah, I that's kind of Waller. So much. <laughs> but you'll never see it happen. I'm pretty sure she's running Earth 3 right now in the comics. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the one where everybody's awful, so she fits right in. <laughs> she's the, the leader of the awfuls. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So, the thing that James Gunn has described as the proper start of the D- new DCU is Superman Legacy, which will be released July 11th, 2025. James Gunn is writing it, and some sources suggest that he's likely to direct, but that's not confirmed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently it will focus on Superman balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. Okay. And the way James Gunn talks, it sounds like, yeah, they really got got a handle on what he's supposed to be. Well, that's... That's definitely good. I am apparently one of the weirdos that didn't completely hate any of the things that Superman has been in as far as movies so far, but I will say it did feel like it's like, alright, we're, we're, we know Superman is supposed to be cool, and that's about it. <laughs> like, anything else isn't really completely nailed down. There wasn't a lot of character to him after Man of Steel, he was just kind of there. Yeah, no. I felt like they were try- banking on his presence being what carries him more than anything else, and while yeah, that is definitely part of it. The, the guy still has to be, like, personable to a degree, at least. Yeah. At this point, I'm gonna diverge a little bit from the slate, because Gunn was also reflecting on the DCU's journey so far during this announcement, and here's what he had to say. I wanted to take care of these characters. We all know it's been a fucked up road for many of them for the past few years, and I really thought it is a challenge, but I think it's a possibility to create something really wonderful with these characters. The history's been shit. It's been a real fucked up journey for DC. I think that there was basically no one minding the mint and they were giving out IP to any creative that smiled at whoever was in charge. There was never any real power given to the people in charge and so somebody could always go over their head and do whatever they wanted. We had the DCEU, which then became the Joss Whedon Justice League, but it also became the Snyderverse, which became this. And then we have Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 2, which doesn't even match what happened in Wonder Woman 1. And then we have the Arrowverse and even us coming in with the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker. What is it exactly? And all of a sudden, Batmite's a real guy. So how can we take these things together and make them make sense and have them unified and have them be one real universe, one real world? So, good on him. Yeah, for keeping it real. (laughs) Keeping it real. Calling it like it is. Apparently some executives at Warner Brothers got offended, which, good. Yeah, it's like, it's like, how could he say it? It's like, because he's fucking right. He's out of line, but he's correct. Because motherfuckers did this. It's like, he's out of line, but he's right, guys. Exactly. I love recording difficulties. <laughs> They're the freaking best. Yep. All right, so you were saying, 
while we were taking pot shots at all the executives who got us to this point. It's the whole thing, like, he's out of line, but he's right. And with his comment about the creatives who just had to smile, it's like, uh, I, I say this acknowledging how much easier I personally am to please. I feel like in a lot of those projects, there's still, like, some minute bit of thought process and love and whatever. But otherwise, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I think that was a shot at Dwayne Johnson. Oh. <laughs> Considering the whole, he went around, he went straight to Zaslav to get Henry Cable back as Superman. Hmm. Fair. So that's probably what that was. And also, good on him for also acknowledging, yeah, our way of coming in and doing stuff also helped contribute to how completely crazy this is. He's throwing shade where necessary, including at himself and his company. So it's like, alright, at least everyone is on the same level of shit. I think the really funny part about that is him going, and all of a sudden, Batmite's a real guy, and that's a reference to, a, he was established in Peacemaker to be an actual thing. So all I can think of, that was you! <laughs> You're the one who did that! Uh, maybe he's like, oh, I shouldn't have had shot a clock that hard. <laughs> Your hands are not clean in this, so I'm glad you're acknowledging that, because Batmite... You think it's totally inconsistent that Batman exists? That's your problem. Mm. It was all you. At least he's willing to throw himself on the pyre. Yeah. That's not the only thing he's throwing himself on if this doesn't pan out. Mm. But anyway, Superman Legacy, yeah. Super looking forward to it. Uh, it is going to be more early day Superman. Apparently casting has not started yet. Okay. We're getting Lanterns, a TV series, live action, with John Stewart and Hal Jordan, it's said to be a little bit true detective, but with space cops, and the mystery that they uncover is going to lead into, I guess, the broader plot of what they're planning on doing with the DCU. So that's probably actually the one that I I would say I'm most interested in, just because I feel like Green Lantern is something that, again, as someone who really doesn't delve into DC stuff that much, it seems like one of those things where it's like, DC keeps on going on about this is like such a tantamount character and the people who are fans go this is such a tantamount character but it feels like it's like all right for a tantamount character I feel like they don't get the love and exposure that they deserve from the people that actually make the stories right especially like since there hasn't been anything in the movie verses or anything about them no there was there was a Green Lantern in Justice League remember he died at the beginning in the prologue fight against the forces mm. of evil oh right right yeah. And that was it. <laughs> and then I realized how stupid that was. <laughs> they had I a whole heard... subplot in the Arrowverse with John Diggle becoming a Green Lantern, potentially, and then they just tossed it aside. Uh, no, because with the whole Justice League thing, I think I remember going, oh, it's Green Lantern, and just like, you know, never see anything from that again. It didn't register in my brain, and now it's like, Man, that was stupid. That was such a <laughs> letdown. Yeah. Because, <laughs> no, the, the, the Lantern Corps is an amazing, expansive part of DC, especially in from the 2000s onward, once they brought Hal Jordan back and they introduced the rest of the Corps, like the Parallax Entity and the Sinestro Corps, the Red Lanterns, the whole emotional spectrum. That was a big deal, and it led to some really big stuff. Hmm. And I wonder if maybe that's what he meant. Oh, here's to hoping, I suppose. They were getting Blackest Night and Brightest Day. <laughs> are those actual character names? No, those are event names. Oh, okay. We're also getting The Authority, which 
I'll admit, I know very little about. Hmm. The main thing I know is that they were the inspiration for the Elite of Superman vs. the Elite fame, or for those who aren't up to date with DC's animated movie output, the action comics issue, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Basically, one of the core issues that illustrates why Superman doesn't go completely ham and kill all of his bad guys and just be a brooding sad sack of a man. Because what happens in that comic issue is the elite show up and they're basically a bunch of ruthless anti-hero almost villains mm-hmm. who proceed to start antagonizing Superman once he won't get with the picture and he won't get on board with what they're doing. And then they proceed to push him too far by making it look like they murdered Lois. And oh, oh, oh boy. <laughs> and he proceeds to go ape shit. Mm. And he wrecks all of their shit. Does a whole bit about how does it feel to be the victim and that kind of thing. And then when Manchester Black, their leader, is basically shitting himself with fear, turns out, oh no, the whole thing was a setup. Superman was demonstrating, yeah, this would suck if I did this. That's why I mm. don't. <laughs> but that doesn't really have much to do with the authority themselves. Just to illustrate, that's about all I know. Uh, that is the the visual representation of there's nothing more to fear than the anger of a gentle man. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Apparently this one's a passion project of James Gunn's, which I'm very interested to see what that is then. Yeah. Especially starting out, because that's the kind of thing where it doesn't feel like a opening move, you know? Right. That feels like a way down the line bit. I imagine it's the whole thing of like, alright, gotta get if it's a new story or a new whatever, you have to do what you can to get the people interested in it for the long run, since this is the proverbial first paragraph of what they're trying to do. Yeah. So, I feel like a passive project thrown in. Especially considering like how much clout is around James Gunn with his new role and all of this. It's like, alright, that's definitely a good way to like really get people's attention and raise some eyebrows. Oh yeah. For better or for worse. <laughs> We're getting a Paradise Lost TV series. Apparently it mm-hmm. is, I guess, a Wonder Woman prequel? Yeah, it's like, oh, okay. I, I, I don't know, I have nothing else to say. I had nothing else to say to that other than okay. <laughs> well, what I, what I think the most interesting thing about this slate is... And I, I guess, it, you know, it can wait until, the, the broader point can wait until we've covered the whole thing. But I think this is a good way to still have something Wonder Woman-centric while you figure out what you're actually doing with Wonder Woman. Hmm. Because one thing James Gunn said outside of this presentation is that the door is open for Gal Gadot, Jason Momoa... Zachary Levi, and he also said Ezra Miller, but I don't believe that, and I'll get into that in a little bit. No, (laughs) I don't believe that for a second. (laughs) So, but they also said that each actor is only going to be playing one character, which presumably means that part of what's going on with the Jason Momoa situation is they want to see how Aquaman 2 does, and if it's worth continuing that series. Mm -hmm. And if it is... And he wants to stick with Aquaman, he'll be Aquaman. But if it's not worth continuing Aquaman, and they want to tack on a different direction, then he could still be Lobo. Hmm. Is what I think is going on there. Ezra, 
I'm pretty sure Ezra's just out, and it's just a matter of A, they can't say that because that'll tank the movie. And also, apparently there's a Screen Actors Guild rule that you can't talk about someone's employment or terminate them or something like that while they're in active recovery. Hmm. So that might be another part of it, that they actually cannot say Ezra is out at this time. We'll see. Yeah, when he mentioned the whole thing of, oh, Flash is going to be like the full reset, it's like, okay, so Ezra Miller's out. <laughs> Presumably. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah, like if there's ever a way to do it or a point to do it, that would be it. There would be literally no, I don't. I hate to say better, but there would be no better opportunity to do so. Yeah. We're getting the brave and the bold. Hmm. Which is going to be Batman teaming up with his son, Damian Wayne Robin. So, I have to ask, because I did watch the video where he talks about like the whole Chapter 1 thing in a potential deviation from this. What is with Damian Wayne holding a sword over Batman's head? <laughs> oh, Damian's a murderous little shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, no, he... <laughs> his mom, Talia al Ghul, is the daughter of the leader of the League of Assassins, Ra's al Ghul. Okay. And he was raised to be an assassin, and Batman's trying to, like, decondition him from that. <laughs> but he's an arrogant little dickbag who thinks he's better than everybody else. Does Damien pull an assassination classroom thing where he tries to take every opportunity possible to murder Batman, and, and Batman just snarkily and sarcastically, like, just stops him? <laughs> nah, he doesn't try to murder Batman, but he's not afraid to murder criminals, so Batman's trying to rein in his impulses to do that. Hmm. Just try to show him, no, there's still stuff you have to learn. You can't handle everything on your own yet. I don't remember the game, but I remember there being a game that had Batman and Damian Wayne. And Batman's talking to uh, Damian about how he can't just kill people outright or whatever. And it cuts to a scene, or the video I watched cut to a scene of Batman just pummeling someone's face and then knock him out. And Damian just walks up behind him and is like, so I can't do that, but punching the crap out of people until they're knocked out and have a concussion. That's totally cool. <laughs> It's nuanced. <laughs> it's like, I think I like this character. <laughs> yeah, Damien, I'm not a huge fan of Damien, I'll admit, but at the very least, it sounds like this is also going to introduce more of the Bat family beyond just Damien, which is exactly what I've always wanted from a Batman movie. Mm. I want a Batman who's already in the swing of things, and he has allies, and he's mostly got a handle on his shit, and yeah, there's still challenges and problems, because Batman is not something you do when you have all of your shit together, but... No, not at all. But give me Nightwing, give me Tim Drake as Red Robin or whoever you want to do, just don't call him Drake like you did that one point, that was fucking stupid. Give me Barbara <laughs> Gordon, especially since you can the Batgirl movie, which I'll have some more to say about in a bit, but Jesus... Ah, I'm very excited. Mm -hmm. Very happy for this. We're getting a Booster Gold series. Uh, so you know what? I fully acknowledge this is probably something that we've actually talked about, like there being a Booster Gold series, and it just completely left my brain. But I remember you talking to me about, I forget, like who you said you wanted to cast as Booster Gold. Glenn Powell. Glenn Powell, and I was like, why does he keep on bringing this up? And I see James Gunn says, oh, we're also making a Booster Gold thing. It's like, this is actually happening. What the hell? Yeah, no, I mean, look at that image of him doing the thumbs up and tell me Glenn Powell wouldn't rock that look. <laughs> Probably would. <laughs> yeah, no, he'd be perfect. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely brilliant. I keep seeing people say Chris Pratt. It's like, no, that's the broke perspective. No. <laughs> that is neither woke nor bespoke. <laughs> and I like Chris Pratt. I just don't want him as Booster Gold. Yeah, no. It's also interesting to me because, okay, this is probably me reaching, and I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't the case, and I'm not going to put too much store in it because I don't want to set myself up for disappointment, but I find it really interesting that Booster Gold, a time traveler, is getting his own series in between Superman Legacy and the other thing, one of the last things they announced, Supergirl, the Woman of Tomorrow, and I know... Woman of Tomorrow is just a nod to how Superman is called the Man of Tomorrow. I'm reading too much into it. It's not a thing. But, 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 Supergirl is also very heavily associated with the Legion of Superheroes who exist in the 30th century. And one of Booster's stolen bits of technology is a Legion flight ring. Hmm. So, the, the gears are turning in my head and it's probably nothing, but it might not be nothing. Right. God, I'm excited. <laughs> I am excited for Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, but I'm also very surprised. Mm-hmm. Not that Supergirl is getting a movie, but that she's getting a movie this early into the reboot. Because I wouldn't figure they'd do Superman and Supergirl together. They are, of course, different characters, as, as Gunn himself illustrated. Superman has been raised on Earth and basically sees himself as an Earthling. Kara spent most of her life in Kryptonian society, at least. So she actually has a sense of what has been lost when their planet blew up. Right. And apparently this one is based on a very recent run that I haven't had a chance to read yet, but now I'm going to have to check out. Yeah, like, wasn't he saying, like, the whole thing with this Supergirl is that she's not completely... Well, it sounds like at least she's not completely good. In fact, she's quite jaded because basically she's watched everyone that she cares about die gruesomely in front of her. Yeah. That's kind. Of, that's generally a point of differentiation between Superman and Supergirl these days. Mm. Oh, so this is this isn't like new. This is kind of like the mo for Supergirl. It. I think it was more pronounced in the New Fifty Two onward. Supergirl kind of. Again, this is not my area, DC history, but to my understanding, Supergirl kind of got dicked over by Crisis of Infinite Earths because mm. she died in the crisis, and then. Post-Crisis, when the multiverse got rebooted, it's just one singular Earth. Editorial was really cracking down on Superman was the only living Kryptonian. So every Supergirl they tried to introduce had some weird different thing. Like, one was a shape-shifting interdimensional monster or something that was Mm. working with Lex Luthor, who was pretending to be a good guy. This is where it gets fuzzy for me. I think that's where Power Girl came from. Hmm. Another attempt to reboot Supergirl. I'm not sure on that one. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to stop talking out of my ass at this point, but... (laughs) Swamp Thing! (laughs) You know, how you said Swamp Thing is kind of what that all felt like. It's like, yeah, he's talking about, like, yeah, it's going to be like a new horror thing. Here's this this whole presentation. Swamp Thing! Yeah, it's like, and then finally, Swamp Thing. A new horror experience. So anyway, that's what we have planned. <laughs> he didn't really go with much into that one, which, assuming he went in order with these things, and I think I got a little out of order on them, mm-hmm. assuming he went in order on these things makes sense that they don't have as much. Apparently, James Mangold is in talks to direct this one. Okay. Which is good. Okay, I hate Logan so much. <laughs> 
But Logan is not a bad movie. I say I'm the weird motherfucker who likes Logan. No, quite a bit. <laughs> lots of people like Logan. I'm the weird <laughs> asshole who hates it. But I don't hate it because it's bad. I hate it because it's a terrible fucking X Men movie. Right. And because all of its emotional impact is based on saying goodbye to Hugh Jackman and Charles Xavier and Patrick Stewart's characters, but these characters have been so sporadically done and so dicked over by all this editorial studio money-making bullshit that it's hard to give a fuck that they're gone. Right. So that's that's my problem with Logan. It's not that the movie is... Okay, the, the, the genetic corn thing is kind of fucking stupid, but... <laughs> but I... Th- that doesn't sink the whole movie. Mm. Professor X having an aneurysm and taking out all the X-Men sinks the movie. That was just uncomfortable. Yeah. That was just deeply uncomfortable. Indeed it was. So, anyways, the the thing that I like about this slate is you've got the big stuff. You've got Superman. You've got Batman. You've got a Lantern Project. You've got a Wonder Woman Project. Sure, there's no Flash or Aquaman or Shazam, but the fact of the matter is, because those movies are all coming out this year, you've got plenty of time in between to reboot, think about what you want to do, do you want to continue these stories and say that they're still part of the new DCU, or do you want to start fresh? So you've got plenty of time to gauge that. You've got mm-hmm. the middle-of-the-road the middle of the road characters where people outside of comics have heard of them, but... Maybe not to any big extent, like you've got Supergirl, you've got Swamp Thing, you've got Booster Gold, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got shit like the Authority and Creature Commandos, Mm -hmm. which, what the fuck is that? (laughs) That's the shit that, when when it was announced Gunn was taking over, I was like, that, this is the kind of weird shit I was hoping for. Right. Even though I don't actually know these things. It's that vibe. (sighs) Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm very much looking forward to all of this conceptually. Obviously, who they get to play in these characters, who they get to direct, who's writing these, all very important things. The execution is going to trump everything. Yeah, and it's and I think that's gonna... There's no, like, third or fourth ch- I don't know how many chances they've had at this point, but there's no third chance with these. Yeah. Especially not if Warner Brothers gets sold again. <sighs> True. Could very well happen. Yeah... So, here, here's, a, here's a dumb one, though. Peter Safran was talking with Variety. Okay. And Batgirl came up. And people are giving him shit because his response was, I saw the movie, and there are a lot of incredibly talented people in front of and behind the camera on that film. But that film was not releasable. And it happens sometimes. That film was not releasable. I actually think that Zaslav and the team made a very bold and courageous decision to cancel it because it would have hurt DC. It would have hurt those people involved. I spoke to the directors last week. We were chatting. We'd love to be in business with all those folks. Christina Hodson wrote it. Some people are already back in business with us. As I said, a lot of talented people were involved, but the film just was not releasable. It would not have been able to compete in the theatrical marketplace. It was built for the small screen. So again, I think it was not an easy decision, but they made the right decision by shelving it. And everybody's really mad. But. (laughs) Hold on. Hear me out. Okay. Okay. What the fuck is he supposed to say? Yeah, like, that's the thing that I was laughing at. I was like, and everyone's really mad. I was like, no, that's a pretty, like, there's definitely reasons to not like him, but that's a pretty reasonable answer, all things considered. It's a bullshit response, because, okay, the movie's not releasable. Bullshit. Morbius was releasable. 
<laughs> I know that's not Warner Brothers, but you can release no. anything. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean reasonable in that it's a good answer. I mean reasonable in the sense of like, okay, this is the best safe face answer I can think of, even though it is quite clearly bullshit. Yeah, because <laughs> what can he do? The guy who made the decision to shelve it is still his boss. Yeah. So what's he gonna do? Say, nah, he's a fucking idiot, that was a bad call? Yeah, no, and especially it's also one of those things where it's like, people are mad about it, but it, to be fair, guys, they're literally the only ones that have seen it. Yeah, don't get me wrong, they're pr probably BS, but considering they've actually seen the finished product, I'd still say they have more weight to say that than anybody else. They so... do, but you also you also can't trust that verdict, because it's also a oh, case no, of, not at all. it's done, you can't this is a situation where, unfortunately, you can't undo it. They already got the money for writing it off. There is yeah, no it's... situation in which Warner Brothers, as far as I know, maybe there's some obscure loophole, I don't fucking know, but as far as I know, there's no situation where Warner Brothers can ever release Batgirl now. Somebody would have to go get the footage, finish the movie, and then release it. <laughs> And they would have to do it on their own dime without anybody catching on to the fact that that's what they're doing. And nobody's gonna do that because it would spell the end of a fucking career. Because again, even if they unofficially release Batgirl, oh well, Warner Brothers has been paid for it. There could be no official release. And somebody would more than likely go to jail. Yeah, that too. <laughs> so th there's one last thing I want to talk about with this DC slate that I think is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a long episode, even counting for all the <laughs> technical difficulties. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the thing that I find really interesting is, Gunn also went on Twitter and revealed some of the books they're drawing inspiration from, and he was clear that they won't be direct adaptations necessarily, but it's the feel, the look, or the tone that they're going for, and using his touchstones for this DCU. And those were mm. All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison... Volume mm -hmm. 1 of Batman, also by Grant Morrison. The Authority Omnibus by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. Okay. And Alan Moore's Absolute Swamp Thing, Volume 1. By Volume 1 of Batman, do, do you mean like original No, no, original no, like Batman? it's okay. relaunch. It's the Volume 1 of Grant Morrison writing Batman. Oh, okay. Yeah. And those comics proceeded, most of them, proceeded to start selling like crazy online. And in fact... Some of them, like Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, sold out. <laughs> I didn't know it was possible to sell out of a comic book. Right? So they're already <laughs> talking with DC Comics about getting more out there. But that's crazy because that doesn't happen. Mm. That really doesn't happen. And it's, it's great because not only does it gain awareness for these writers and these artists and these stories, but it's also just really nice to have a yeah, this is sort of a frame of reference of what you can expect. And it's one of those things where it frustrates me because I like Marvel a lot, but they don't do this. Mm -hmm. They don't generally say, yeah, we're making this movie. Here's something you could, like, read if you're interested in this character. At least Kevin Feige doesn't do that. Right. And I feel like that's such a missed opportunity. And it's born out of, A, they don't want to have a bunch of sweaty neckbeards getting mad about all the deviations they're taking from the source material, and it's also, they don't want to risk spoiling stuff, I guess? I don't know. But it's... It's like... Comics are kind of a dying medium at this point, man. Yeah, no. They're not alright. Mm -hmm. And you could drive up so many sales by going, 
here are some things that we're using for inspiration. Like, you hear the creators talk about it, the individuals on projects sometimes, but you very rarely ever have, and during any of the big presentations and slates, reveals and what have you, you very rarely ever have Feige going, here's some books to check out. So this is cool. You know what's funny about that? It made me realize how to just com- give a complete kickback. When Jessica Jones first came out, or was coming out, there were several interviews with David Tennant about him being Purple Man. And he mentioned how, like, yeah, I've read the Jessica Jones comics, all of them, to figure out what the character was like and what Jessica Jones was like. And I realized, even back then, it's like, I think that's the first time I've ever heard somebody who's involved with the project, be an actor or somebody else, actually go, yeah, let me actually reference the direct material that this character is based off of. Oh, that... it happens. It definitely happens. It just Oh, and of course it happens, but it doesn't feel like it gets acknowledged quite as often as it should. Yeah, it doesn't usually get this kind of attention. Yeah. And I thought that was really neat, and seeing, seeing this effect mm-hmm. is just really fucking cool. It also seems like a lot of people have a lot of goodwill directed at this new change as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the usual Snyderverse morons who are still crying and whining about Henry Cable being let go. <laughs> Which isn't what happened. His contract was up and they decided not to renew it. Right. Oh, well, it happens. Sorry, guys. Yeah. That, unfortunately, that is business. Yeah. But, yeah, everybody seems decently optimistic about this, and I think it also helps that They've also said they're shooting for, like, two movies and two series a year, so that's not too out of control. They're determined that no work is going to start on these projects until the scripts are done, which is also mm-hmm. good. Making yeah. sure that there's a consistent through line in these, because a lot of these movies don't figure out their third act until the end, and it shows. <laughs> I'm not saying it's necessarily the worst thing, but I am saying trying it the other way doesn't hurt. It's a noticeable trend. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I can't wait. I'm very excited mm-hmm. for all this. Mm-hmm. Should we even bother with trailer time? Not if you don't feel it. Because, like, um, the the only three trailers I could find weren't anything huge anyway. Yeah, I mean, the best I can do is that I can rapid-fire the three trailers, those being The Covenant, Big George Foreman, and moving on by saying, I am into each and every one of these, <laughs> for different reasons. <laughs> I'm really only interested in moving on, if I'm honest. Well, moving on was definitely the one that I was the most interested in because it's like this looks stupid, but it also looks really cute. And it, for it's, some it's Jane Fonda, <laughs> Malcolm McDowell, Lily Tomlin. You know, Lily Tomlin's the voice of Miss Frizzle in the original Magic School Bus. Really? Yeah. I had no clue. So yeah, that's that's a good cast, and I like that. But Big George Foreman, it feels like I've already seen the movie just from watching the trailer because it see it feels like they've outlined all three acts of the movie just in that trailer. Yes. And then The Covenant, I don't know, I like Jake Gyllenhaal and I like Guy Ritchie, but it just seems kind of generic. I mean, I'm I, I I'm into it just because I am a fan of like military movies. Okay. Especially, we'll say a bit more down-to-earth military movies, not completely the whole, like, America's the best type of deal. Yeah, fair. Really, so, yeah, moving on, I definitely want to see, but the other two, it kind of depends on what else is out those weekends. Fair. Let's talk box office. Oh boy. 
And let's bring back my favorite game ever. Did we see the highest grossing movie domestically this weekend? And the answer is yes, actually. <laughs> okay, I was going to say no. It's because it's still Avatar. No. All right. <laughs> no. Fine. I, wow. I didn't think this is going to happen for another two weeks. But Avatar The Way of Water, domestically at least, has been dethroned this weekend. Because oh it was knock at the cabin in first place with 14.2 million domestically this weekend and in total for a $21.2 million worldwide total. In second mm. place, also not Avatar! Oh, okay. It was 80 wow, for, for Brady. Wow, from first to third, I'm guessing. <laughs> 12.5 million domestically this weekend and in total with no international release information yet. Third place, yes, it was Avatar The Way of Water, which took in $10.8 million domestically this weekend. In fourth place, Puss in Boots The Last Wish at $7.9 million domestically this weekend. And in fifth place, BTS Yet to Come in cinemas, $6.2 million <laughs> domestic. I'm sorry? <laughs> I guess it's one of those, like, a band performing a song. Or a concert, and it's presented live. Does that count? As yeah, a movie? It, ca- it counts. <laughs> okay. It's number five domestically. I just okay. realized I forgot to get the domestic totals and the international totals for most of them, but oh well, you know what? I'm moving on. This has gone mm. long enough. <laughs> oh boy. So, knock at the cabin. Knock at the cabin. If you've seen any trailers for this movie, it's exactly what the trailers indicate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the trailers the trailers give up a lot of the movie. It's the oh, a, a couple and their kid are having a vacation in a cabin and then four strangers show up, break in, tie them up and say, "Two of you have to choose to sacrifice another or the end of the world's going to happen." Mhm. That's that's the movie. That is the movie. Yeah, there, there's, there's, there's no punchline. <laughs> the the punchline is that there isn't a punchline. Yeah. My big takeaway from the movie is that Dave Bautista is the best part of this movie, and he needs more leading roles. Oh, he's fantastic. I don't think this is really a spoiler to get into, but his his character is a second grade teacher, who also mm. coaches the school basketball team, I think, and also maybe some after school programs, and he just. Despite being an absolute hulking beast of a man covered in tattoos, he exudes this gentle friendliness and this air air of genuine regret for what he feels that he has to do. Mm -hmm. He's phenomenal. Yeah, like, he, he... He steals the show, like, no question. It's, I guess it's one thing, just because with it being Dave Bautista, you, he, his presence is always felt when he's in the room. Like, you can't help but pay the most attention to him. But boy, does he utilize it well. Every time when he takes the lead, he is the leader. No question about it. He's so good, it took me forever to realize Rupert Grint was even in this movie. <laughs> I realized it from the trailers. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> No, I didn't even notice. Didn't notice yeah. until the movie was going. It's like, oh boy, Ronald Weasley's in a, in a doomsday cult. <laughs> Anyways, I kind of hate this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's not the greatest thing. Because it, it, it's funny because, so, it's hard for me to figure out what's a spoiler and what's not when the trailers pretty much gave everything away. Mm-hmm. But 
if you've watched previous episodes and you've watched me talking about the trailers during trailer time, you know one thing that bothered me was that it, in the original novel, apparently, the circumstances of the apocalypse were left relatively ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, all the ambiguity has been taken away and it is confirmed, yes, the apocalypse is happening, planes are falling out of the sky, a tsunami's happening, lightning strikes, what have you. And I was very upset by that because I feel like the ambiguity was what actually sold it. Having seen this movie, I understand why they did it, because if they hadn't kept those apocalyptic scenes in, this movie would be intolerably boring, and I feel like it is (laughs) even with them. (laughs) This is just dull. It's just, here's the premise, Mm -hmm. and that's it. The premise is the movie. It's the trolley problem stretched out to an hour and 40 minutes, (laughs) and boy howdy, The Good Place tackles it way better than this could ever do. When you said that in the theater, I did actually have a small epiphany, because it's like, holy shit, this is an hour, like, what was this, like an hour 40 minutes? Yeah. This is like, it's an hour and 40 minutes of the trolley problem. And it's just, uh, it's like, it's like that both made the movie a lot more clear and kind of ruined it for me at the same time. <laughs> Other than Dave Bautista, almost everybody is in, is kind of dull. Rupert Grint stands out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it, Shyamalan's dialogue doesn't help. Right. He's really not great at it. And I feel bad, because like, I don't dislike him. He seems, mm. like a, he seems like a nice guy. And I don't hate everything he's done. I had a good time with Old, even though Old was also not great. Right. I had a decent time with Glass. I can't say anything mm. nice about The Last Airbender, but who could? Yeah, no. And really, I I also want to go back, because I haven't seen a lot of his older movies, and I feel like I need to fix that, because it sounds like that's where most of the really good stuff was. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, granted, I haven't watched his older stuff in in forever, but I do distinctly remember when he when his name first hit the scene and people saw his first movies. He was... I feel like he was kind of seen as a joke from the get-go. <laughs> no, because his first movie was The Sixth Sense. Oh, he did The Sixth Sense? Yeah, that was him! Oh, okay. No, now you, now you see... Oh, yeah, I'll have to rewatch that then. Okay. Yeah, I've never seen it. <laughs> mm. I know the twist. I'm very sad. I think I saw it once ages ago, and because of that, I don't remember a lot of it. But it's like, oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. The The rest of the movie, though, is just... It's, it's boring. It's just a sequence of events. Yeah, it's... It's unfortunate, especially because... I don't know. It's... <laughs> The thing I want to talk about, I can't tell if it's a spoiler or not, because it doesn't cover specific events in the movie, but it does cover, like, how the movie tries to have certain events play out, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's some not-so-great implications that I want to talk about, but I feel like that's a spoiler bit. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else before moving into spoilers, then? Not really, I guess. Okay. It's just kind of boring and sad and mean. <laughs> The, the the movie, yeah, you know what the movie is kind of mean at certain points. Boring, there sad, were, mean, and confusing. Yeah, there there are a couple like particulars in the movie where I go, it's like, oh come on, man, you don't have to do the dude like that. <laughs> Giggity. <laughs> so if you don't want to be spoiled on anything major for Knock at the Cabin, click away because we're gonna get into spoilers in three, two, one. <laughs> So, I don't remember, because now we're just going to get into, I I guess it's not just spoilers, but also more specific details of the movie. Mm -hmm. 
I don't remember what Wen said at the start that made me write, this kid is with it. <laughs> I think that's what got us to... No, because I, I don't remember. I think we started nodding a little bit, and then she said her favorite movie was Kiki's Delivery Service, and then we were both just... Yeah, yeah, all right, no, no, no. So yeah, no movie. This kid's got it. Yeah, this kid's based. <laughs> all right, this kid's a champ. And then Dave Batista's just like, I've never seen that one. I'll have to watch it later. <laughs> oh, man, that's really sad. It has, like, narrator. He does not watch it later. Why is this movie R-rated? Well, this, I've, I imagine the swearing's a big part of it. But you could cut that out easy. Yeah. There's no reason for this to be R-rated, because, like, the the violence is barely there. Most of it's off-screen. So it's weird, because with some of the off-screen kills, because, like, all the kills are off-screen, I kind of felt like, it's like, okay, I think it's trying to do the thing that Megan did, because with Megan, the kills were also off-screen, but there were absolutely plenty of details and other aspects in the kills to let you fill in all the other little bits. Yeah, well, come to but, think of it, you know what? Megan mm-hmm. does a better job at kills with a PG-13 rating. No, that's, yeah, that's what I was going to get into. That's crazy! Yeah, that's what I was going to get into, because like, like the one that sticks out for me is when she kills the woman with the pressure washer. And the thing is that you hear her, you literally hear her dying and you see the water turn into blood. But with this one, because of all the details that they give before the deaths happen, I feel like the reason why it got, if it got rated R, it's because of that. is because the setup for the kills is a lot more gruesome because it's like, okay, you know, it's a tiny robot girl with a pressure washer versus someone having kind of like a literal bag over their head with sharp objects pointed directly at the base of their head. Yeah. And we also see Rupert Grint talk, fall to the floor with two giant-ass like spades in his head, too. But it's like, okay, if that's what got the R rating, fair, but still not as good. Right. That barely counts, in all honesty. At which point I'd say it's probably the dialogue more than anything else. Yeah. I don't think this is supposed to be strictly the Christian apocalypse. I hope not, because if so, this is even more confusing and honestly really weird than regular religion. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was the bit where, um, I forgot, I forget the couple's names already. Eric and um, Andrew. Yeah, when Eric, because Eric was the one who had the concussion, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. When he's talking about the character traits of each of the four and how it's like, they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. No, they're not. Because he described them as malice, <laughs> nurturing, guidance, and healing. And it's like, I'm pretty sure none of those are the horsemen. <laughs> no, that's not correct. It's not even a thing of that's not how that works. It's like, no, that is objectively incorrect. <laughs> and it's so confusing to me how this is supposed to work. Because, okay, so apparently every time they refuse to make a choice, and the time frame keeps decelerating for some reason, but every time they refuse to make a choice... Another plague is unleashed, and it seems like it's triggered by one of the horsemen allowing the others to kill them. But what? Yeah. Like, why don't they just not? Yeah, that was the other bit that confused me when they said every time you say no, um, portion of humanity gets judged. It's like, okay, so what's stopping them from speed running the end of the world? <laughs> like, they could just constantly sit, sit there like children and say, no, 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 no. It's like, well, this was supposed to take four days, but now the whole world's gone in five minutes, so good luck, guys. And um, <laughs> I feel like, and obviously, you know, that's this isn't about the ins and outs of the choice, but I'm a nitpicker, and 
the movie's emotional impact didn't distract me, so I'm going to nitpick the hell out of this. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Say I'm a, say I'm a, I don't know, a, a devil lawyer or something. Mm. I'm gonna point out, Eric is concussed. That completely mm. invalidates his ability to make a choice. Right. That would never hold up in court. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And then at the end, it ends up the rules don't matter anyway because so he he was very clear at the start. Dave Bautista was Leonard that two of them need to choose to kill the other one, and no one's allowed to leave until a choice is made. And then mm-hmm. at the end, Eric and Andrew send their daughter Wen off to go hide in the treehouse while they make the choice. So. It's two of them choosing to sacrifice one, and one of them left. Shouldn't that invalidate the whole thing? Shouldn't God be like, didn't count? I feel like they tried to at least get around that partially when Wynn said, when um when Andrew goes back to Treehouse, and Wynn says, like, did Eric save the world? It's like, okay, so does that mean that she had already mentally decided that Eric was going to be the one to die? Don't know. Because if that's what they were going for, that's kind of, that's very shit. (laughs) Yeah, and also, okay, so here's the thing. So apparently in the original novel, Wen dies. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's not happening. No, but she doesn't get, she doesn't get willingly sacrificed. I guess there was a scuffle with the gun and she accidentally got shot. And that explicitly did not count. So Mm. then... It fell on Eric and Andrew to sacrifice one of them, and they both decided not to, and then the novel ends very ambiguously with them waiting to find out what happens. And I think that's a much better ending. Mm. Because once once you once you establish that the apocalypse is real and that they have the ability to prevent it and you focus on the aftermath, it's all just kind of fucking silly. It's like, oh yeah. The water suddenly pulled back, and all of a sudden nobody's sick with this totally not COVID pandemic anymore. And planes stopped dropping out of the sky, which, what kind of a fucking plague is that? And that's kind of the thing I was trying to get into with the problem with the trailer revealing as much as they did. Because I feel like what they were trying to go for, because one of the things that the movie constantly like plays with when each of the plagues happens, is that the movie also explains, is like, and gives... I won't say good, but at least somewhat barely plausible explanation for each thing. Like how they talk about, like, I think it was called, like, the X9 virus or something. We've been hearing about it for months. Yeah, and how, like, what was shown was, like, a pre-recorded news event about it. And the thing with, like, the first thing was, like, tsunamis hitting, like, the West Coast and destroying the West Coast of the United States. How, oh, this happened hours ago before they even showed up and it's like ah this would be good if you didn't see the trailer (laughs) because clearly what they're going for is having tenseness build in these coincidences and being like okay well there's an explanation but this is still so fucked up that it could still be the apocalypse so where could it go it's like well if you've seen the trailer you know what fucking happens (laughs) yeah i don't know this just did not click with me yeah no and it's kind of weird to me that Rupert Grint is the only one, Redmond, sorry, is, O'Bannon, sorry, is the only one. <laughs> sorry. No, it's fine. Is the only one with a prior connection to them. 
Yeah, and you know what? I will have to give him props for that, because I thought it was going to be a whole mistaken identity thing, especially with how in the... Because there's a flashback scene where Andrew gets attacked, and even still, it's not the person who attacks him. His face isn't shown very well. And then at the very end, when they find his ID, it's like, oh, it's his ID. It's like, well, shit. Okay, you know the other right, thing to be on that? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's no reason why this story needed to be told out of order. Yeah, no, that... I don't think that added anything. I honestly feel like it might have made the emotional impact stronger if they told the story in order, showed the build-up of Eric and Andrew's relationship, them adopting Wen, all of that good stuff, and really get you to feel for them, and then dig the knife in. Yeah. For me, it was the thing of, like, towards the tail end after, um... Rupert Grint attacks Andrew and they show like how that got him like go work out and get a gun and all that and it's like okay shit's already hitting the fan it's hard for me to care about this right now (laughs) yeah because we're already in the middle of it Mm -hmm. it just kind of destroys what little bit of tension there was yeah but it, it, it like I was saying it's weird to me that he's the only one with any prior connection to them because it Whatever apocalyptic being is sending these visions to these guys, you'd think it would have sent it to somebody else. Right. Because, honestly speaking, all that's going to do is sow more doubt. Unless maybe they want the world to end. The Whatever weird godman is pulling the strings here. I don't know. It's also, it's also vague despite having a really weird complicated set of rules. Yeah, actually, you know what? That kind of goes into this thing that I didn't talk to you about, but it was something I spent the entire day after we saw the movie thinking about. It's like, okay, so... Because at the end, it, like after thinking on it and sleeping on it, I was like, okay, I actually have more questions than answers. How did they get these visions? When did they start? Is there any kind of like setup or anything like that from who or what or how gave like these visions and started this series of events? Yeah, like, all the evidence points to this happening, but it's like, there's no previous connection or anything like that. It's just some, like, omnipotent being was just like, you know what? I feel cute. Might delete the world today. You fuckers are the only ones who can do something about it. Just to make things fun. <laughs> okay, and you know, it's also really kind of unfortunate because, like I said, in, in the in the original book, apparently, Wen dies, but the couple lives, at least until the world possibly ends, or doesn't, who knows, because Mm -hmm. it's more ambiguous, but it's also a really unfortunate message that you specifically brought in the part where one guy got basically assaulted by another person in what is basically a hate crime, and you point Mm -hmm. out that all the world has done is be cruel to them, and then one of them has to kill the other. Yeah. What kind of message is that? Especially after having a whole bit beforehand with Eric saying, it's like, I see you, like, the two of you having a wonderful life together, you still raising her, having a happy relationship, she's found someone she loves, she's still just as quirky as, like, everything else, and you guys are happy. It's like, yeah, but you die. (laughs) The one good thing that has happened in your partner's life goes away. As horrible as it may sound, there is not much recovery from that. Nah. That's gonna be terrible. And they're kind of just shambling through the aftermath, not really saying anything, not really doing anything. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna recover from that. No, they're not. And I know, 
I know the whole point is that it's not fair and it's messed up, but it's also, to what end? Yeah. It doesn't seem to be saying anything about it. Again, with the whole, like, vision that Eric was having about the having a happy life, because the movie ends with Wen and Andrew in the, Dave Bautista's truck, messing with the radio, but still very clearly still, like, recovering from everything that happened, trying to make sense of everything. I'm looking at going, no, they're, 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 there's no way they have a happy life after this. Nah. I'm sorry. <laughs> he I was am concussed. so sorry. Yeah. How do you know what he saw was real? Yeah. Your Honor, I object. <laughs> this contract is unenforceable. <laughs> I think the last thing I have to say about the ending was, I was very happy, but I was waiting for... <laughs> The two of them to get isekai in the fucking truck. <laughs> Just get hit by a fucking other truck. Yeah, because it's like the whole thing about them, like, because they're like, they're like driving away and it's very silent with the sunset going and all that. And it's completely quiet. And I'm actually getting more and more anxious. It's like, shit, there's going to be like a truck or something or like a tree falls that was hit by lightning just takes these fuckers out. <laughs> and it's like, they drive away and the music starts it's like, well, shit. <laughs> I feel like it would have been really easy to have an ending like that. But hey, good on them for not going, taking the easy bait. I was expecting a plane to fall out of the sky on them. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, Missed forgot one. about one. <laughs> it's like, forgot Zap. about one. Big Bird was the pilot. Oh, um, dear. <laughs> oh, my. Inside joke. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So I think that wraps that up. Oh, yes. In short, I guess don't bother. Yeah, I mean... Ugh. In a general sense, don't bother unless you want to see Dave Bautista kill it in a lead role. Okay, you know what? It's worth it for Dave Bautista, and if you're a fan of Shyamalan's other movies, mm -hmm. go for it. Yeah. I won't stop you. I can't stop you. <laughs> I don't want to stop you. But what we can have you do, or at least encourage you to do, is interaction! Or is it too early for that? <laughs> no, that was good. Okay, I tried. Well done. <laughs> In any case, thanks so much for watching, everybody. <laughs> and thanks for bearing with the technical difficulties that hopefully I've been able to edit around. Yes. Next week, we are probably watching Magic Mike's Last Dance. Well, I think that's the only real feasible option at this point. Yeah, that seems like it's the only thing that's releasing. Fortunately, I have seen the first Magic Mike now, and I'm looking forward to watching the second one. And by looking forward right. to, I mean I'm willing to knock this out. Right, right. But again, thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, whatever you want to do. Make sure to share. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, this has been Under the Bridge with Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And with Craig, a.k.a. Greg. And we'll catch you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.